Hello once again Cougar football fans, welcome back inside Studio C at the BYU Broadcasting Building in Provo, Utah for our Week 9 edition of the Coordinator's Corner brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Coming up on today's program, the Cougars bounce back from back-to-back -back setbacks with a closely contested conquest at Washington State. 21-19 the final, the result returning BYU to the top 25 in the AP at number 25. With us today to break down the win over Wazoo and a visit from Virginia, our defensive coordinator Eli Satuiaki and special teams coordinator Ed Lamb. And we start the show by saying hello to D.C. and D-line coach Eli Satuiaki. Coach, good to see you again. Good to be back. For some reason, it feels better talking after wins than, uh, than, than losses. Always, always. <laughs> Congratulations to you and the guys. Appreciate it. We were just talking off the air before the uh, uh, program began about the vibe there at Martin Stadium. First time BYU'd ever played there. And uh, as always, a lot of royal blue in the stands. And by the time that game was over, uh, it, it, you could feel it from that crowd. Yeah, yeah. The Cougar Nation just continues to impress uh, the way that they show up. I mean, that was, uh, was a really, really fun atmosphere for, for the players. And you know, the coaches and players talked about how loud it was for us. Fantastic result and uh, gets you back on the winning track. You went into the game minus a number of defensive players again. Uh, picked up some, some bumps and bruises. And I mean, it's top of my head, uh, Caden Hawes, Lorenzo Favatea, Ammon Hanneman, um, George Udo. Uh, those are four pretty important players for you. So it's one, once again, just kind of looking down the depth chart and seeing who's going to respond for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's, you know, as you go, especially this deep into the season and we hadn't had a bye yet and, and uh, playing a lot of good, tough teams. I mean, there's a uh, We've got a lot of good players on the roster, and a lot of guys are stepping up to, to make things happen for us. And I, th I thought the boys have responded in a great way. Zoe's been out for a while now. Chance you get him back here next little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think think we should get him back in the next couple of weeks. But uh, really, just being being cautious with him to make sure that he's properly healed before we bring him back. Okay. Meantime, you are you're just kind of cycling through guys. I mean, you're you're not worried too much about who's not there. You're prepping the guys who are available. Yeah, I think think the 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 team mentality, the players that we've got. I mean, we've got a lot of of uh, good players. I mean, the depth is is, is good and the buy-in is is great and and uh, you know, just the next guys up are stepping in and trying to do the job and we're trying to trying to do our best uh, coaching them up and and uh, just keep pressing along in the, in a tough long season. Okay, the last time you saw a team exactly like this was probably the last time you played uh, a Rolovich team, which may, might have been Hawaii back in 2019, straight run and shoot. Tell us a little bit about the challenges that are unique to a run and shoot team. Yeah, you know, the, the, the amount of space that you've got to cover with all your players. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I thought, I thought the quarterback was just a really, really good, a good quarterback. He's a kid that played in, in a system probably since he was five years old and, you know, in, in the, on the island of Hawaii where, where everybody's, everybody runs the, the, the run and shoot, and he just grew up in the system and played in a really good high school and doing that. And so he, he executed their offense really well. But just the speed on the perimeter, just all the different uh, route combinations that you see, the, the way that they, they run the ball just to keep you honest, to make sure that the box is secure, and then, mm -hmm. and then take advantage of that. It's just a lot of challenges. Uh, really, one of the, one of the offenses that are, that's tough uh, to to take care of just with how much they do and and uh, how they spread you out. Turned you into basically a base three three five for the day, then didn't it? Did yeah. We were um, you know it's tough tough uh, week to lose a lot of those those DBs, but I thought mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of the ones that that we ended up uh, playing with just did a phenomenal job with the backers, the front, 
you know, asked a lot of them with, with the type of rushes that we were, we were going, in in, going in with. It was uh, pretty much a three and a half man rush the whole game and a majority of the game with just a couple of blitzes sprinkled in. Yep. Everyone bought into their roles and, and uh, did, did a really good job. You mentioned spreading out, and there were times when from DN to DN is about 12 yards, it seemed like, in space there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, the type of challenges that those, those types of offenses give you is uh, they spread you out and um, just do a really good job spreading the ball out and, and making you cover. How did it impact a guy like Chaz Ayu, whose role changed a little bit, I think, from, from week to week with, with Wazoo? What, what do you want to do with him? This yeah, we, we, uh, we basically played him. He and, uh, he and Ben Bywater were, were playing the same position, so basically playing backer this week, uh, you know, in the box, in the box, so to speak, but still out of the box and more playing a backer role with as much, uh, you know, coverage as we played. We, we, we felt like we needed to play a little bit more of a kind of a dime personnel, and you saw, saw Jacob Bourne have tons of snaps we moved Jacob Robinson to the safety spot and so he had to learn a new spot and and uh, moving guys around that way but uh, yeah Chaz was most, mainly playing backer this week that brings us to the question who is Jacob Boren <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Boren is another walk-on that's just earned his earned his check I mean, he's done a phenomenal job I mean he uh, um, yeah five five nine is being very generous he's <laughs> he's mighty mouse you know out there he is now he's one of the he's one of the few I, I'll bet he is probably the strongest pound for pound, just over, overhead squat guy. I mean, mm. he is, he is really, really tough, really strong. You know, played at Highland High School, and you know, came to us uh, as a walk-on. His coach in high school uh, had nothing but good things to say about him, and he just, you know, started out at receiver, broke into playing some special teams, and we, we uh, took him on defense just uh, as a depth guy, and he's he stepped up and had a phenomenal, phenomenal role in, in what he, you know, winning this game. He started the game. Uh, on Saturday. He did. He started the game. We moved Jacob Robson to safety with losing. Uh, Admin had him in and, and George Udo. We felt like the best move was to move Jacob Robinson, who's a starting nickel, to safety. And uh, Jacob Boren started and and uh, away we go. Away you went. Uh, Wazoo had won three in a row uh, coming in. Pretty confident team and they'd scored 30 plus in each of the last two. This was a challenge for you guys. It was. It was. It was, you know, going in, we talked about it as a coaching staff. It was there wasn't a lot of film um, with the type of scheme that we felt we needed to play. And mm. a lot, everybody else was playing four-man front. Everybody else was blitzing a lot and different things. And we felt like the way to beat them was to, to play more coverage, then rush. And uh, it, uh, it, it made it difficult for them. The quarterback held the ball a lot, which, which sometimes, you know, as a defensive line guy, it starts to get frustrating. But, but uh, you could tell that he started to get frustrated too. And he started throwing. You know, you're getting more checkdowns, and the longest play that we, we gave up uh, in the game was 22 yards. And so it's still, for, for a team that really spreads it out, that gets chunk yardages, yeah. that, that really does that, it's frustrating to just keep going back to the checkdown, checkdown, checkdown. You feel like you can't move the ball and win games. And, and uh, for us to keep everything in front and, and really challenge them that way, uh, thought thought was good. Yeah, let, let's hit the coaching shakeup for a little bit. Um, what was the anticipated impact if you thought there was going to be one in terms of the change of offensive play callers? Because they had switched to Stutzman and he'd gotten them three wins in a row, but you know, having made the change. Yeah, you know, the, uh, we thought uh, you know going in that it was going to be really difficult for anybody uh, to come in and change anything that they've been doing, and so we were expecting the same offense, and we didn't see very many. Actually, we didn't see any changes. They. They were, um, you know, they were who they were, and really, really efficient offense. And they actually brought in, as we looked at it later on in the week and on game day, they brought in some, some impressive, just uh, legendary coaches. And uh, you know, thought that uh, they, they did a good job coaching as well in game day. But there wasn't much change as far as what we saw. 
in the game itself, the first series you had to defend, they went five rush, five pass, 10 plays, 75 yards, and a score. And so, okay, what were you thinking after the first series there? It was really, uh, you know, because we were all in on, on just the scheme and, and uh, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, it was, it was, you know, we're asking a lot of new players to do new things. And so didn't want to panic, didn't want to abort the game plan, but basically wanted to get the guys settled in, um, make the corrections that we needed to make technically and just coach up what we needed to coach up as far as just, uh, you know, what went wrong. And uh, once once they settled in, once the boys settled into their roles and, and got one series under their belt, thought that they did a phenomenal job coming back and, and playing the rest of the game. It was nice the offense answered right away, too, uh, squared the game as they scored on their first possession. Then the second drive, they get down to the BYU 36. They fall start, backs them up a bit. Then, huge play for you, Malik Moore, uh, who has been proving quite the ball hawk, uh, gets uh, his third pick of the year. Yeah, yeah, Malik, uh, Malik's been awesome for us, uh, you know, at the safety spot. And, you know, he's upset with himself about, you know, missing a couple opportunities. But he is, uh, you know, it, it's going to be scary for people to keep throwing it, you know, deep and down the middle when, when Malik's back there because he does cover a lot of ground and, and he's got phenomenal ball skills. Beyond the ball skills, what's uh, the best asset in terms of the position you're asking him to play? And what helps him be in the right position? He's, he's intelligent and he's long and fast. And that's that's one of the things that, that uh, Coach Lamb, Coach Guilford has done in the secondary in, in the you know last few years of recruiting was just trying to get more length, trying to get more speed. Um, at the safety and the corner spots, and, and uh, you know he originally was recruited as a corner, and we moved him to safety, and that's uh, that's how you like him. You like those guys, tall, long, and fast. And uh, he's got five career INTs now, and he could have had a couple more. As he you know he said he probably thinks about those more than he does the one that he got, yeah. but he was right there. He was there, and he's it's it's going to be scary for anybody throwing down the middle, uh, just because, you know because he'll make you pay. And um, I, I think that uh, Coach Lamb, Coach Guilford are doing a really good job coaching that secondary, and. Um, you know, I feel it, it, it's, it's been fun to watch those guys play. You might see that was, yeah, that would have been a nice little play coming across. Yep. The last one, I think, if we're going to see the, uh, the final attempt, this is one that was, yeah, I'm sure he thought he had this one kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was, he came off really upset about it, but it was like, he didn't see anything, but just field in front of him. And I think yeah, he's he thinking started, pick six. He, he started, he started to run before he, before he had it and, and he, he knew it. And I think, you know, that uh, that would have given our offense a really, really good field position and, you know, probably t take away that last drive as as we look at it. But, uh, you know, those we've got to capitalize and make sure that we complete the takeaways. But we know that uh, that Malik's been been great doing that and and we love him and trust him and think that he'll continue to do it in the future. So after the Malik Moore interception that did get the ball back for you, next three defensive series you had, it was a punts on all three. So you guys really did settle in nicely. Yeah, yeah, that's, that was the, the, the key. It was, you know, a couple of things that we were asking them to do. It's, it's different when you're practicing it and, and uh, then all of a sudden you get into the game and you're seeing, seeing the speed of the game and, and just all the different route combinations that you're seeing. It just takes a little bit of time for guys to settle in and, uh, into their roles and play, and, and I thought that the defense did a, did a phenomenal job doing that. So we saw the one takeaway, uh, which was plus one for the day. Uh, no defensive three and outs, but five uh, WSU drives lasted five plays or fewer, so just maybe one play beyond a three and out. And so it wasn't like you were having to defend, you know, these uh, you know a ton of long drives on the day. Yeah, yeah, f finding a way to get off the field has been been huge for us this this game. I know the the two previous games before this one is just. You know, uh, not not getting off on third downs or you know missing tackles or those types of things that just prolong your drive and and uh, thought we did a better job of it this week. Okay, it was a seven-seven game at halftime as you made your way from the from the coaches' booth down to the locker room. What was kind of going through your mind at that point? 
Just uh, really sticking to the game plan, and you know, we we talked about uh, you know some changes. Or we played a lot of zone in the in the in the first half, and um, you know, I thought uh, to come back and play a little bit more man in the second half, and and uh, after we played a little bit more man, didn't feel so good about it. Mm -hmm. Thought that we just mix in some man and stick to zones, but. I, you know, one of the things as we looked at it was just thought that our offense did a did an awesome job. I mean, staying on the field. I mean, we looked up and, and the amount of drives that that uh, that uh, you know Washington State had in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. I mean, it's just our offense did a great job grinding it out. And um, you know, to be on that side of it after a couple of weeks where we were on the other side right. of it, it was uh, it was really good. And I credit the offense and the offensive staff, the players just did a really good job with that. I think Wazoo only had three second half possessions. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think one in the third quarter. Yeah. It was uh, they, our offense did, did an amazing job just <clears throat> taking care of the ball and grinding it out. Grind it out for the 21 to 19 win. It is time for a break. We come back. We'll see how the Cougars finished off their win at Washington State, and we'll see who Coach E selected as his defensive player of the week. Reminder that BYU football with Kalani Sitake airs Tuesday nights at 6:30 Mountain Time on the BYU TV app. We also have a live studio audience with us here in Studio C. You can go to my Twitter feed and you'll see the seat request link for that show later today. All right, this is the Coordinator's Corner. We are brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Back with more right after this. The right-hander goes downfield. He's got a man and it's intercepted! Malik Moore with another INT makes the catch in the end zone and the 23-yard line before he is knocked down. More of the coordinator's corner now with BYU defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Eli Satuiaki, Coach E and the Cougs now 6-2 and two on the season. After Saturday's 21-19 win at Washington State, BYU now 4-1 and one all time against the Crimson Cougars. It was the first ever trip to Pullman for BYU, but as expected, BYU put a lot of fans in the stands. Nice to see Cougar Nation turning out in force up in the Northwest. As we said before the break, Coach E, only three second-half possessions for Washington State. BYU offense did a nice job keeping Wazoo off the field. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. This we got the ball got the ball coming out at the in the third quarter. I mean, they grinded it out, and then they were able to get 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 out of that drive. And it was like the offense was still on the field. The next thing I knew, I looked up, and it was we're end of the quarter, going into the fourth. And I thought that was uh, that was an amazing job that the offense did. Those were the possessions for Washington State in the second half. Just three of them on a nine possession day uh, for both teams. Now it was after the second Washington State TD. The first one you see on the board there, that a missed PAT, simple little play, kind of changed the game. Yeah, yeah, that uh, it really did. I mean, just um, you know, they when they when they fumbled it and and ended up missing their fire drill, it was um, you know it could it could have ended up being worse for us just because we we made some mistakes on defense and and uh, you know uh, we got lucky on that one, but it, it it made it where they had to go for two at the end of the game. So they went for two after uh, their longest drive in terms of plays and yards and time. It came in the fourth quarter, did make it a one-score game. Uh, the challenge of defending the two-point play, how'd you see it? Yeah, you know, we were, we were expecting something similar to that, but they actually ran uh, almost exactly the same play that we saw against uh, South Florida. We, we ended up in the same exact coverage, except it was a different front. And so, um, you know, they went into an unbalanced look with, with a bunch. Um, don't know if you could see that, but they put the tackle over on the other side. We had to move everybody over, and, and Jacob Boren did a good job just staying on his side and keeping the shape of the defense. Did having defended it against USF help in this instance? I, I don't. I, I don't think it really did. did. It register it was, it that was way? Really, yeah, it, uh, in the USF game, it was really just about keeping the shape and 
and uh, you know we lost we lost the shape of just the, the guy that we would have had in the South Florida game and Boren did a good job keeping the shape of uh, you know that you would have wanted to be in the same same call just to have the backer there waiting for anything coming back. Okay, so they had to chase the points, didn't get it there. Um, still a two-point game. Offense gets the ball, they go to burn mode or, or four-minute mode. Yeah. Um, and every time it feels like this year where BYU's offense has been in four-minute, they've done exactly what you want to do. That is, they uh, ran the ball, ended the game in victory formation, in possession. Yeah, that was that was text, textbook four-minute drill. I mean, I coming down from the box, I, I, I mentioned A-Rod just thinking about it. I said, hey, you know, all... All four of the Pac-12 teams that we've played, we ended with the with the offense on the field, grinding the clock out, and just um, I thought that that was that was really really cool to see. How gratifying is that when you know you've got one job to do, just hang on to the football, move the clock, and move the change, and you do exactly that. Yeah, I mean that was so getting so good at that at that drill, the four-minute drill, and the offense is it's just uh, been so cool to watch watch them do their thing. Of course, almost all of the drive, except for the two kneel downs at the end, was big number 25. Can you reflect a bit on Tyler Algier's big day? Uh, he is, he is just, he is, he is the team. I mean, our, our, our team loves him obviously, and, and uh, he's so humble. It just, it's, it's easy to love a guy that, uh, you know, wants to keep his head down and, and keep grinding. And what he's meant to this team, as far as just what he brings and his personality, his grit, um, you know, obviously the, what, what he does on the field. I mean, it's easy to cheer for a guy like that. And, I mean, Tyler has Tyler's been phenomenal to have on our team. And there have been games where I've felt like by the, by the longer the game gets, almost the better he gets. And I'm sure whether it's in a drive or in a quarter, the defenders are probably a little tired of tackling uh, Tyler by the end of he it. Is, he is a big physical running back. I mean, he, you, don't, you don't appreciate it until you really start to get close in there. You know, as coaches, obviously, the, the view that we have is a little bit closer. But when you see people moving out of his way or trying to tag off in practice, it's he is a big physical running back, and it's hard to tackle a guy like that for four quarters straight. And it was good to see Lopini Katoa as well get in the end zone for the first time this year. He gave you another score on the day as well. That's right. That's right. Lopini's all. Lopini's been clutch. Uh, you know, uh, th those two have been a, a great one-two punch, and and uh, no, those two are always cheering for each other and the success that they've had. And Lopini's been great for us as well. Okay, back to your side of the ball. Ben Bywater is a top 25 player nationally in solo tackles per game right now. Can you speak to maybe the impact he's continued to have on your defense? Yeah, he's, he's getting better every single week. I think Coach Kloon's done a phenomenal job with coaching the backers and, and uh, you know, bringing those guys along. But Ben, ben is getting better, get, getting better and better every single week. Um, and he really, there's there so many similarities. He reminds me so much of Keenan and where Keenan came from, you know, from his freshman year, uh, you know, going on a mission, coming back and, and getting better and better and better. And, you know, obviously what Keenan was before we lost him this year was just was just unbelievable. But Ben is uh, Ben's getting better every single week. Is Ben going to get uh, a little bit bigger like Keenan kind of did? It felt like Keenan was was pretty, pretty physically stout this year coming in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They were uh, it, it took it took, you know, several off seasons for him to get there. But I think Ben is is on that same trajectory and same path as he's 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 done a, he's done a phenomenal job with his body too. He's starting to really get bigger. Okay, a uh, couple pops that uh, Pepe put on people on Saturday kind of stood out to me. Pepe Tanuvasa, uh, maybe not somebody that people know a ton about. What can you share about uh, Pepe and his influence? Yeah, Pepe is Pepe is uh, awesome. He's he he plays the role. You know, he plays his role and he does his best. I mean, he's um, you know we play him sometimes at the backer spot. Sometimes we play him at the end spot. This this week was really kind of a question mark because. 
the question was, is he big enough to be a D end? You know, we, hmm. we're going to need to put another body in there. But we started the game with him just because he's been so reliable and wanted to give him a chance to play. And, and he was, uh, I mean, he was great the whole game. And, you know, like you said, just, just he's so dependable and, and uh, is a guy that buys into his role and just does a really good job with that. We mentioned Jacob Boren earlier. He and Morgan Piper were two of your top four tacklers. And I think coming into the year, uh, Boren and Piper wouldn't have been you know, among the marquee names people are going to list when they talk about best defensive players, but they had a great impact for you on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, Boren had a great game, obviously, but, uh, you know, Piper actually played a backup role to Max Tooley, and, and those guys split, uh, you know, those guys split, split a lot of time. And, uh, you know, Piper's, the Piper's been, been doing a good job as well. And, and uh, like I said, you know, Coach Clune is, is doing a really good job with the backers. It's been, it's been great to have Coach Clune as well. And let's uh, segue from that into your defensive players of the week because Jacob Boren, seen here, is also one of your top two here. Yeah, the, these, these two guys, you know, the, the players of the week, we, we moved Jacob Robinson, who's a starting nickel to safety, and just he had a really, really good game. There weren't a lot of stats that, that stuck out for him, but just his, uh, his savvy play and just the way that he played really helped us out. And, and obviously, uh, Jacob Boren had, you know, had a huge game. He had the, the big uh, stop on the two-point play, and, and uh, I mean, he was, uh, he just he's played so hard, so played so unbelievably hard. And he still has special teams time, right? He does. He still plays with special teams, and it's a role that I know he doesn't want to give up, but uh, even with the starting role this week, but um, it's, it's th those two deserve the player of the game this week. All right, solid win for the Cougs. Let's go to the break with a reminder that dinner after the game at JCW's includes something for everybody, from burgers to wings, shakes to salads. JCW's quality and a lot of it in Lehigh, American Fork, Provo, South Jordan, and Harriman. Well, this weekend, BYU plays host to high-powered Virginia. Tune in to Cougar Pregame Live on BYU Radio starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The kick at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.15 here in the Mountain Time Zone. Coming up next, we will preview BYU and UVA. You're in the coordinator's corner. We're brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Back with more from Coach Eli Satuiaki right after this. They give middle Tyler Algier, and he will take a tackler into the end zone for the touchdown. Tyler Algier scores, and the Cougs extend their lead here in Pullman. You're in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, visiting with BYU defensive coordinator Eli Satuiaki. BYU coming off a 21-19 win at Washington State over the weekend. The win securing bowl eligibility for a fourth straight season. Um, on that, bowl eligibility back in the top 25, great bounce back and good to be back where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, just uh, getting that win winning feeling back as we've, you know, struggled with it for, for two weeks to finally win game and, and uh, get back to where we felt like we, uh, we worked out so hard to get. It's, uh, Good feeling. Stop the skid at two games. Anything beyond two, things get a little sideways sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, so with uh, BYU having one to go to six and two, you bring in a six and two Virginia team. You've been watching Virginia offense the last couple of days since you finished with Wazoo. Thoughts on the Cavaliers? Really talented, really talented team. Um, I thought, think that Robert and I have done a phenomenal job with, uh, with them, obviously, just the production with the amount of yards they're getting and points. I mean, you know, it's one thing to get a bunch of yards, but uh, they're, they're scoring a lot of points and doing a really good job with that. And, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of challenges with what they do with their personnel. And I could, you totally see how a lot of defenses struggle just with what they're doing. They're, they're really, really difficult to defend. And I think that uh, they're, they're well coached, a lot of good players. And 
and uh, obviously with the 6-2 against a lot of good teams that they're playing, they're doing a good job. 75% of their yardage comes through the air. You know where they want to go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it, it really, uh, you know, it, it, has a, it has an old BYU feel to it. Mm -hmm. Just the, you still see a lot of the, the air raid concepts, uh, you know, for way back in, in, uh, uh, in the day, and they're just doing a really good job coaching it up, and, and uh, it's, it's confusing for defenses. What they do is really hard to defend. Brennan Armstrong uh, leads the nation in passing yards, and a former quarterback they brought in, they're kind of using all over the place, and Keaton Thompson, and uh, he's a guy that um, they, they kind of, you know, kind of use as, a, as a, a hybrid. You kind of view him that way as well. He's been a key player for them. Yeah, yeah, we, we were talking about it this morning as a coaching staff. I, you know, I, when I was watching it, uh, you know, this, over this weekend, I thought that he was like a switchblade. You know, they've got a couple of guys that are, uh, switchblade type players that can that can move around different positions and cause a lot of issues for you depending on how you view them. If you view them as a tight end or you view them as a running back or receiver, there's just uh, you know the way to defend a person like that. It's it, nobody really does that. Nobody mm -hmm. nobody does what they do, and I think that's uh, uh, one of the reasons why they're su successful. It's uh, it's not traditional what they're doing, and it's really difficult to defend. Social media question for you from uh, Gary who says, I'd like to know as a DC how you balance putting pressure on a good quarterback to cause mistakes versus dropping eight to try and cover all the receivers. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think both of them, both of them really, when you're talking about, um, you know, putting pressure on a quarterback, there's, there's, there's pressure whether someone's in his face or there's pressure if he's holding the ball too long, you know, and, and there's, uh, there's uh, most quarterbacks have clock and head, especially with the way that they're being coached and depending on, um, you know, schemes and all that stuff. Uh, some quarterbacks, you know, one, two, three, and take off. Some quarterbacks will hold the ball a little bit longer. But um, you know, it, it's it's they're both they're both pressure. It's just one's a little bit uh, one's one's physical pressure. The other one's a little bit more mental pressure. With Brennan Armstrong in Virginia, what are you more likely to see in terms of will he take off if it gets to a couple seconds, or, or is he trying to get it out that quickly? Yeah, no, he's uh, he, he's he's coached well. He can run. Um, you know, he he's got a really really good arm. I think that the, the timing of their offense is, is really good. And I mean, you, you only really see him run when he needs to. And when he does run, take off, he's, he, can, he can hurt you. And so uh, we've still got to look, look at it, you know, next couple of days and figure out how we're going to defend them. But, um, you know, there's, there, there's going to be things that we've got to think about to, in order to keep that quarterback bottled up. He's, he's a really, really good quarterback. Okay, they're scoring a ton of points, a lot of yards, obviously. Do you go into a game like this, last thing for you, kind of conceding, well, they're going to get to do a lot of what they want to do, and if we have to answer on offense and make it a shootout, so be it? Or what's the right philosophical approach with a program that clearly scores and puts it up against everyone? Yeah, it's, it's still going to be the same thing where it's uh, uh, not, not as hung up about yards, obviously. Just it's got to be keeping points off the board. I mean, if you can keep points off the board, then you've got a chance to score. But... Um, you know, all those things are important, equally important, except for the score. We've got to make sure that they're, we're trying to keep the score down. And it's an offense that shows that they can score a lot of points. And so figuring out how to, how to slow them down and, and get them off the field and keep points off the board is going to be the, going to be the thing. Okay, good luck in the effort this weekend. We'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. Appreciate it. All right, that is Coach Eli Satuiaki. Get pregame coverage of BYU's Saturday Showdown with Virginia on BYU TV's Countdown to kickoff, Saturday at 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain. Coming up next, we'll chat with special teams coordinator Ed Lamb. This is the Coordinator's Corner, and we are brought to you by the JCWs. We are live in Studio C. Back with more after this.
You're in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. BYU improved to 6-2 on Saturday, overcoming an early 7-0 deficit for a 21-19 win. It's a fourth win over a P5 program for the first time in BYU football history. Two more P5s on the season schedule, Virginia this Saturday, and then USC to close out the regular season. Then comes the postseason, and we now know that BYU will indeed officially go bowling. We start the second half hour of the show with BYU special teams coordinator, safeties coach, and assistant head coach Ed Lamb. Coach Lamb, good to see you once again. Thanks, Greg. Congratulations nice on a win and bowl eligibility. That's significant. Thank you. Yeah, it was so fun to see the boys excited again in the locker room and feeling good about what they'd accomplished. And, you know, as coaches, we, we, it's just more relief. You know, anytime there's a victory, that, that sense of relief is something to celebrate. But uh, to see the players so happy was a lot of fun. And a victory coming af off of consecutive losses as well uh, kind of increased the sense of urgency. You never want to see that thing slip to three, and, and you kind of snapped, uh, ended it where it was. That's right. And I thought it was a real key to the game, the way that the guys fought, uh, especially uh, – from a defensive standpoint, there was one really good example where on that final drive that Washington State had, we, we, we didn't end up getting off the field. We ended up giving up a touchdown, and yet uh, there were, we made them run six or eight plays there from, from the low red zone, and the clock just kept ticking and yeah. ticking. And uh, it's obviously not the goal of, of the defense to, to stay out there and make the clock keep ticking, but in that situation, just the fact that they kept scrapping and kept fighting and making tackles and forcing Washington State to continue down the field, it put it in a situation where really uh, it was a one-possession one game after that. As we'll talk about a bit later, BYU excelled again in the four-minute situation and ended it the way you want to. Uh, back to the buildup, uh, how did you expect Washington State's team to respond after the coaching staff shakeup of last week? We expected that they'd have a lot of energy. You know, adversity rallies uh, competitive people, and, and we'd ex we expected that from them. They're on a three-game winning streak. Certainly there's potential for a distraction, and, and uh, you know, I think we had that same potential to be distracted. Okay, what's the new system going to be, the new play calls, the new tendencies? There, there are advantages and disadvantages on both sides of that whole drama that went on this past week. But I, I thought Washington State uh, came out, played with a lot of energy. Our guys absorbed that initial impact and uh, were able to hang in the game and make it a game. Kalani has told me half-jokingly, I think half-jokingly, a few times that he's kind of tired of the depth being tested uh, the way it's been, that it has been. It's another week of having to look down the depth chart for a starting group on Saturday. It is, and I understand the frustration, and yet uh, it, it is football. And the turnover of players on the on the roster from game to game and year to year, it is football and, and new guys have opportunities to step up and I'm so proud of the way that the guys have done it and feel feel badly for the guys that have had to miss time for injury. And then you go to scheme and Wazoo's offense, not a scheme you see every week. That's right, yeah, yeah much different uh, philosophy. Um, you know, the, the run and shoot is, uh, you know, it used to be when I got into coaching, there was a lot of run and shoot, a lot of, yeah. you know, streak reads, option routes, and, and uh, Washington State can make it really hard on a defense. They find very small seams. BYU, by the way, um, the way this game began, BYU's never, under Kalani, BYU's never won a coin toss and not deferred. So I'm guessing, is it always going to be the team plan to attempt to control the end of the first half because you know you will get the ball at the start of the second half? Yeah, that's uh, a little bit surprising, but I, but probably not all that unusual. I think yeah. Unless there's a significant wind or, or some type of weather or or a sunshine advantage that, uh, you know, having the ball uh, to begin the second half is a, is a big advantage. So defer kind of was the call and is the call. Washington State's first drive 
was another long double-digit play, kind of time-consuming series. They only got to third down one time. Not the start maybe you envisioned, but then the offense answers with an identical drive, essentially, to square things. They did, and that, that's what I mean when I say the team uh, absorbed Washington State's initial energy and, and uh, for the offense to come back down the field like that. It, it wasn't a perfect game offensively for us, defensively, special teams. Or there, were, there were back and forths all game, but I thought the competitive nature of BYU showed through and in the end was the difference in the game. So it was 7-7 early. It would stay that way the entire first half as it turned out. Uh, the second WSU series gets into BYU territory, but then one of your safeties uh, takes care of business as he has a few times this year. Uh, Malik Moore had his third pick of the, of the season to end that second possession. That provided a real spark, and, and uh, Malik showed great range on the play and concentration to come down with the ball. Those over-the-shoulder catches on, the, on an interception like that in traffic is, is difficult, and uh, he did a great job there. Uh, a good decision. Normally, you'd want to sit it down in the end zone there and take it on the, on the 20, but he saw the open field. I think he thought about it. It looked like there was some hesitation there on whether or not to take a knee in the end zone. But to also knowing whether he had ran in the end zone or caught it in the field of play is kind mm -hmm. of a tough yeah. decision for a guy to make. So nice job by him getting it out past the 20. And I thought it really put their quarterback on notice for the rest of the game that, that he was back there and had eyes on him. Yeah, I dig it out to pass touchback territory. It would have been at the 20 with a knee, and he got out to the 23, I think it was there. Uh, maybe since it was over the shoulder, it might have been the toughest play he had to make on a ball that day. He had those two other looks that I know he wants back, but uh, either way, he's in position to make those plays. He was, yeah. You know, we, we keep uh, track of production, and an interception is uh, or, or a pass broken up is worth three points, but a missed interception is minus four. So oh, no. Overall See, net. Might have, been, <laughs> might have been thinking about that. There's good and bad on the play, and he, he's normally very sure-handed, and I think you know the history. He was a wide receiver in high school and, and uh, what we call one of our developmental projects. He's really answered it nicely, and this is that's one of the things about the interceptions. They can be a little streaky, and um, his concentration at that moment just he didn't allow him to – to complete the takeaway. We've already seen it though. I mean, whether it's the Utah State pick, it's where he's securing it with one hand, he's really skilled when it comes to the football. He does, has uh, yeah, some of the best hands on our defense and is such a great player to have back there. His length, his speed, his range, and the way he sees the quarterback and doesn't overcommit. Sometimes is able to bait the quarterback. He does a really nice job with all of that. Let's mention one of your special teamers. Ryan Rico's first punt of the day was a true field flipper uh, after the Malik Moore uh, pick. Because BYU did go, I think, go three and out after the interception. But he's, I think, line of scrimmage, scrimmage is the BYU 26. The ball ends up at the Wazoo 9, 66-yard punt. It uh, induced a muff as well. Just a, a major flip of position there. It sure was, yeah. And combine that with one of their uh, Washington State's early punts in the game, which was kind of a shank out of bounds for just, I don't know, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 yards maybe. That, that was a huge difference in the game at that point that just kind of kept us in there and given us some field to work with. So the ensuing WSU possession and the next two were three punts. BYU ended up with two short fields, a one off a really nice hobbs Nyberg punt return, by the way, but no points for BYU. Missed a field goal with one and a miss on a fourth and two. So there were chances, considering field position, to do better than BYU did in the first half. There, there were, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the winning formula is to, to back up a, a defensive series, not necessarily in this order, but when you have a defensive series, a special teams result and an offensive result, and that's when momentum really starts to shift and, and leads can be built. And we, we weren't doing that, but 
we were oftentimes winning two out of three, you know, maybe getting a stop or a score and then a, and then a special team's advantageous field position. And that helps the, the side of the ball that maybe is, is working or struggling at that point. And BYU did end up with the edge and average starting field position. Uh, Jake Oldroyd, uh, after making 16 straight, he has missed three of six, kind of hit and miss right now. Are you seeing anything that's a fixable thing with him? Is it consistent? Is it relying on one hash or the other? How are you kind of breaking it down right now? Yeah, we really look for, you know, in terms of kickers, they always know their swing, so to speak, and put it in a golf or baseball term. They know it better than anyone. We look for inconsistencies in the whole operation. That's something that, you know, it's kind of like a quarterback. You know, if, if the quarterback throws an incomplete, nobody really talks about the route or the pattern or maybe something that was missed. And kickers take that upon themselves. But we've got to have better and more consistent snaps. We've got to have holds where, where the ball's not moving or spinning at the at the point of contact. And then Jake, you know, I think from a balance standpoint, when he's at his best, he's really balanced on his on his leg swing, and he can improve in that area. Uh, but you know, those guys are are typically a day or two ahead of me on on feedback that I give them. They're they're pretty hard mm. on themselves. Uh, health wise, we to kind of take it for granted now because we've seen him out there a few games in a row. Is he generally feeling better week to week, game to game? He does. He Ask what he really had earlier. Good. Yeah, and that that shows up on the kickoffs, which have been tremendous. A lot of depth and height and and uh, and accuracy on the kickoffs, and that's that's usually the. If he's having any kind of tightness or pain, that's that's the first place it starts to show up is on the kickoff result. Do you remember what your thoughts were as you made the trek across the field to the locker room tied at seven on Saturday? Um, I, yeah, I, I, normally I have a, a, a list of notes that I've made and, and I want to review those notes. Um, I was really impressed with the way uh, D'Lo Mandel came up and made a tackle in the, in the first uh, part of the game. Wanted to give some encouragement to some guys that I felt like had played really well. I thought Jacob Boren and Jacob Robinson were playing really well in new roles. And then, um, you know, I felt like that, that overall we needed to get our pass rush just a little bit more coordinated. So I'm just gathering my thoughts from the first half. I, the way you asked that question, I really want to come up with something sharp and, <laughs> and uh, you know, analogous to the to winning the game. But I, I you know, I think it was just kind of some normal thoughts I usually have. But you do you legitimately just keep uh, uh, something in front of you to, to make notes down that you're going to want to address at halftime during the first half of a game? I do. We have we have roles. You know, Kevin Clune is uh, really really focused on um, you know the the opponent's play, and he makes notes during the during the game on the opponent's play, and then maybe how we're how we're matching up. Uh, Randy Coy makes notes on on what we're doing and, and the results of our of our defensive play calls. You know how are our pressures working? How are our zones working, et cetera? And which zones? And then, you know, I have a little more of a broad focus, which I don't know if that's kicked down the depth of important <laughs> or if that or if that's one of the most important things. But I like to have a little and keep in general a little more of a broad focus and and try to be in tune with different areas of how the defense is matching up against the offense, but also. You know, I have a role on offense and special teams as well, and so I want to make make those kind of notes and make those kind of comments at halftime. You mentioned Randy Coy, one of your analysts. Yes. Yeah. 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 Randy Coy does a great job with us. He he helps out with uh, mostly the secondary preparation for the game, and then and then during the game uh, t keeps a close eye on what we are doing and how it's working. All right. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our Wazoo recap and get Players of the Week on offense and special teams. When the Coordinator's Corner continues, we're brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. We're back with more after this. Snap back to Rico. And just drives that. Keeps that plant foot down and sends Harris back. Bobbles the punt and then falls on it. Back at the eight-yard line. Huge punt from Rico, flips the field in a hurry. 
All right, so we are back on the coordinator's corner with BYU special teams coordinator Ed Lamb. BYU ending its two-game skid with a 21-19 win at Wazoo on Saturday. Next up for BYU, the 6-2 Cavaliers of Virginia, the return of Bronco Mendenhall to Lavelle Edwards Stadium. BYU back in the AP Top 25 after the win at Wazoo, a game that uh, was tied at halftime 7-7. Second half began uh, the way the first half began. Each team scored touchdowns to start the game. Each team scored touchdowns to start the second half. Uh, BYU on that opening drive of the second half, Coach Lamb got to third and four twice. The second one was a third and goal from the four. And both times, a handoff to Tyler Algier gets the job done. Yeah, he was really running well vertically and running through, running through tacklers uh, well all game, and especially in the second half. I thought, he, I thought he increased his physicality, and the offensive line was getting some good push and getting some uh, situations where Tyler had an inside or outside of a, of a man instead of a frontal tackle, and I thought he took advantage of it. Is there something to the notion of Tyler uh, getting stronger as the game gets longer sometimes? It appears that way to me. I, I think so. I think any defensive coach recognizes that uh, in, as far as defending the run game, you know, typically it gets it gets more and more difficult as the as the game wears on. The offense kind of finds where the where the defense maybe has got some soft spots, and uh, defensively, it's uh, it's it, it takes a lot more physically to get off blocks and tackle than it does to block and, and run the ball. It's just it's just more taxing, and so. If an offense can can maintain some consistency in the run game and the development of the run game, it typically pays off. In fact, I was marching through the locker room at halftime telling everybody who would listen, we're running the ball more efficiently. That always pays off in the second half. You know, some guys just, they're used to me kind of yelling and, and ignore me, but I <laughs> hope they don't. on some years, yeah. No, that's legit. Uh, after uh, Wazoo, Wazoo did make it a 14-13 game after he went up 14-7, then we had the play of the game, and the play of the game was a special teams play, a simple little PAT snap that wasn't handled cleanly, and it changed the, the complexion of how Wazoo would have to handle the rest of the game. That's right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that was a big moment in the game. Can't say that it was anything necessarily that we did on the, on the block unit, but uh, I think what you can credit any time a difference in the game comes down like that is it's a good time to recognize the efficiency of, of our hold and, and snap and kick and, and the fact that we were able to get ours off and, and they didn't in that situation. So we saw how Washington State handled or mishandled the bobbled snap. How much does the fact that a player who didn't grow up playing American football, the holder was an Aussie punter, uh, can be factor into to maybe the play getting a little bit blown up after the bobble there? Yeah, I, I don't. Um, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I I think there is something to be said for the reaction. Um, you know, learning to catch a football. We all start playing at different at different ages, and as I think there's NFL receivers that came up as basketball players and stuff. So I think I think you can learn to catch the football. I don't know if that skill is something you completely can't learn later in life. But you know, a, a lot of times with the Aussies, in my experiences. And the Kiwis for us too, Johnny Linehan, is they really have to work on, okay, what happens when the play is different and the ball goes over the head or a bobbled snap? What are the rules now and how does it pertain to the game? And maybe the, a little bit of hesitation there can be attributed to just being new to, newer to the sport. Okay, how does BYU practice a bad or bobbled snaps? What's the operational procedure when something goes awry? Well, we, we, uh, we coach what the what the contingency plan is, but we, we do want to keep that a contingency plan. I just... Early in my career, I, I overplayed a lot of contingency plans and practiced them too often. And mm. I felt like they were too forefront on the mind of our players. And so, we, in a sense, we want just complete focus on first priority execution. And then contingency plans are something that you know we, we want the guys to to feel like it's a habit. 
And uh, you know, most teams call that fire, and so do we. There's a fire operation. There's a certain route combination, some protection that happens up front, and then the, the, the quarterback or holder has a job at that point to run or, or put it up in the air to a receiver. I'm not always counting players, but I, I found myself doing it Saturday. It felt like there were 10 men on the PA team, uh, PAT team for BYU defensively. Yeah, we were, we were in, we, I think you'll see there's some guys that get confused in that situation. That's a, a defensive substitution right there. Uh, we played with a much different personnel package on defense than we normally do. And we didn't have our, our field goal block unit uh, out of that same package. It, it's it really, we have too many light defensive backs on the field to get much of a push. And so we ended up, um, we ended up not getting a linebacker substituted in that should have been substituting in at that point. If you're going to be down to 10, is that maybe the one place where you can usually get away with it without you seeing a, a demonstrable impact? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's important. Which uh, yeah, if, 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 right. If <laughs> if you had to play by rule, it's an interesting question. It, one phase of the game, it, it might be that phase of, of the game that you know you're typically not as gap sound in that front. The the key is the overhangs and the coverage, and and in that case, we had those guys at least in position. Yeah. Which helped. Uh, let's get to special teams uh, player of the week for you. Who'd you who'd you like this week? Uh, we, uh, Jacob Boren was uh, the, the top rock. He, he was the one that got down and put the pressure on on that bobbled uh, uh, punt return that flipped the field for us. Did a really nice job with that. Hobbs Nyberg uh, provided a spark there. It was The punt return team did a good job blocking, but he made a couple of guys miss that were, that were unblocked, at least late in the play. Uh, Drew Jensen was outstanding in his role on the punt protection. Did a really nice job on that, as he does every week. And then, you know, Ryan Rico is obviously uh, worthy of player of the game with the way he flipped the field and took care of business. Excellent. And Offensive Players of the Week uh, coming to us from Coach Aaron Roderick. A-Rod with us next week. He goes with Tyler Algier and Clark Barrington. Clark, the Spokane area native, kind of back in the old stomping grounds with a nice grade out. And uh, Tyler Algier, Coach Lamb, when you guys had to go to four-minute or burn mode and win the game, kept handing it off to Tyler, and he just kept moving the sticks, and that's how you won the game. That's right. Yeah, those two guys right there, just foundationally, they could they could get it every single week. They're just rock-solid guys on and off the field, in and out of the locker room. They, they just The way they approach the game shows up every week on game day. And, yeah, well-deserved award by the offensive staff to acknowledge those two guys. All right, time again for a break. And as we step away, we remind you that for your daily Cougar sports play-by-play, -play, tune in weekdays to BYU Sports Nation at noon Eastern time, BYU TV and BYU Radio. Coming up in our final segment of this week's show, a look ahead to BYU's final FBS home game of the season. You're in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys. Corner is brought to you in part by JCW's The Burger Boys. BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. And by Siegfried and Jensen, serving Utah families for over 30 years. All right, you're in the coordinator's corner, brought to you by JCW's The Burger Boys, visiting with BYU Special Teams Coordinator, Safeties Coach, and Assistant Head Coach Ed Lamb. BYU coming up off the win over Wazoo facing Virginia, the return of uh, Bronco Mendenhall and multiple assistants uh, to their old school. That's a unique storyline this week. It is. There's, there's typically always some crossover, guys that have worked together and know each other, and obviously there's a lot more with this game. We have such tremendous respect for what those guys did to build the, the program and the, the players that they, that they left us. And, um, and now, you know, to be able to see them be successful in a, in a new place, um, it's, it'll be a lot of fun to see most of them. I've got a 
personal relationship, former teammate with, with Marky Atawaya and then, and then Garrett TJ and, up, and I grew up in the same hometown and, and have known each other, feels like our whole lives. Final 60 seconds then for a word or two about this Virginia team coming in 6-2 and two and just lighting up the scoreboard these days. They, they sure are. Yeah, they're lighting up the scoreboard. Just a, aggression. When I, when I think of their whole team, I think of speed and aggression. They're, they're like that on defense as well. Create a lot of havoc, effort-based, the type of athletes that, that we would expect to see from the Atlantic Coast Conference. And um, I think there's an esprit de corps and a, a foundational uh, effort basis that's uh, really going to be a challenge. Well, if it gets into shootout mode, they've had a few of those this year. Let's hope this BYU keeps pace and ends up on the right side. This should be a fun one on Saturday night. You're talking to a defensive coach, not really looking for a uh, <laughs> want to shoot out pace. But if that's the case, <laughs> we'll play to the final whistle. Understood. Coach Lamb, thank you. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you. All right, that is Coach Ed Lamb. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Coordinator's Corner. We're back with you next Monday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time for Coaches Tuiaki and Lamb. I am Greg Grubel, and we will see you next week. Have a great week, and go Cougs.